This is the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Landon. I'm at the Ignites space in the lower level of the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. If you've never visited uh, the area called Ignite, uh, very easy to find and uh, check with one of the librarians. I'll be glad to give you a tour of all the facilities here. My guest today is Jody Britton, a nearly 15-year resident of Fishers, a writer, speaker, researcher. Uh, that's uh, the, di- the different types of work that you do. So, Jody, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Larry. Um, I guess the first thing I will do is just uh, for people who don't know you, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little more detail than I just gave. Oh, that's fine. Um, We've lived in Fishers for a long time. We're transplants. Um, Neither one of us are from Indiana, so I moved here um, from out of state. Let's see. uh, We have two kids. Um, Most important role I have in this community is a mom. Um, outside of this community, I do a lot of work in education and have for a long time. Like my first job with a school district was when I was 16. So mm. I've been doing this a long time, Larry. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. What, can you just give us a, a clue as to what type of work you do yeah. in education? Yep. Um, I have really, um, gosh, so my classroom, one of my first classrooms that I ever taught in was a one-to-one classroom with technology. Um, and that changes your perspective a lot, you know. Um, just about what our kids need to learn and what they're doing, and that was so long ago. Uh, so that kind of set me off on this trajectory to really focus in on key skills, employability skills, 21st century skills, and technology and education. Well, let me get on to the reason yeah. I'm having you on the podcast. It was after I read uh, a piece that you have written on a platform called Medium. Yes. I'm going to quote from uh, your – I can't quote from all of it. You covered a lot of uh, real estate in that <laughs> yes, piece. But I'm going to pick out a few things, and I will uh, – at least if you go to LarryAndFishers.com, while I will place the, the link to this podcast, mm-hmm. I will put a, a link to your piece so people can read it in full if they wish to do so. Yes. But when I read your piece, I have to just say a little something uh, mm-hmm. first. Because after I read your piece, I recalled a story I wrote all the way back in uh, September of 2015. At that time, the Hamilton Southeastern School Board was preparing to vote on a non-discrimination policy. Then two faculty members spoke before the board urging them to strengthen the language. They did not feel the language was nearly good enough to be a true and effective policy. They, but what they did then was kick it back to the policy committee, which is always an easy thing to do. And it became a big issue about three years later. Mm-hmm. But at that time in 2015, I spoke to one of the, the uh, faculty members that had spoken before the board, a uh, special education teacher named Laura Rendernecht. Mm-hmm. She noted that the board wanted language saying that they are welcoming community. They wanted to put mm-hmm. that in the policy. But she told me this, and I'll quote her here. I think it is one thing to say that we are welcoming. I think sometimes for people that are outside of the district, they may not necessarily view Fishers as being as welcoming as Fishers thinks it is. Then went on to say that she really does think there are people here that are welcoming and so forth. But Mm -hmm. um, I think it does right into what you were trying to say, and that was back in 2015. Yes. Uh, but you do take a little different view. You believe people in Fishers get sucked into this thing called a bubble mm-hmm. and do not understand how this community is perceived outside of Fishers. Now, mm-hmm. I've, you've lived here almost 15 years. I've lived here 32 years. Mm-hmm. So when I came here, we 
we're in a town of less than 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. Hamilton Southeastern High School's biggest program was agriculture at the time yes. because it was a farming community, and I was in one of the first subdivisions that in Sunblessed, where mm-hmm. my wife and I had a home. And we've, this we're not our third home in Fishers. But what I would like you to do, just to start off, uh, how did you reach the conclusion that so many of us live and, and work in this bubble? So one, I need to say, Larry, that I, you know, it, it took me about 15 minutes to write that thing on my phone. <laughs> uh, and it, and I pulled open my little writing app um, because I had had so many people reach out and in random, like people at the grocery store that I don't know and, you know, uh, neighbors and friends and even and teachers and even some of our public officials, you know, and and they're worried. They're worried about what is happening here and they're worried about what's going on, you know. Um, I think for me, I didn't title it until after I wrote it. And I was like, this is really talking about what one of our neighbors said when we first moved in. Be careful you don't get sucked into the bubble, you know, where you forget what's happening in the world around us. Well, let me, I'm going to, what I'm going to do uh, is quote several yeah. yep. uh, segments of your piece. Yep. I can't quote it all. <laughs> We'd be here longer than There's a half hour. There. There's a lot there. <laughs> uh, let me just start, start with this quote from your piece. Due to the nature of my work, I spend enough time outside the place we called home to understand regional, national, and international realities. At home, we saw the bubble pounding their chest with pride over state awards. Yes. I realized quickly that sometimes what matters most is national comparisons, not state. Mm -hmm. I've never been more grateful for the reality check that my professional experiences have provided. There's a lot happening outside the bubble, and we can learn from and reflect on so much of what is happening elsewhere. Close the quote there. Talk more about what you were saying. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in some context, right? Um, we're sitting in this beautiful library. Our family is here all the time. We know what's been going on there, right? Um, that news hit in a big way outside of this community. Um, and I, I, I don't think people knew that it was hitting national news until John Green spoke up and got involved in that conversation. But it was there weeks, weeks before, you know, um, all of the things that have happened. Um, I said in the article, like, I remember being in L.A. in a gym and I was like, oh, my God, that's our school board. On the, on the news here. And then I was flying home, and in Denver, it was on the news there. And I thought, man, I wonder if people realize that we're on the news for this stuff, and we sound like real jerks. Yeah, I'm going to get to that later. Yeah. That, that quote that you talked about <laughs> yeah. at the school board. Yeah. Uh, but that. but I, think the, I think the piece, Larry, that, that you're referring to is, you know, I see us creating policies and structures that aren't amplifying the agency of our community, you know? And... And by that I mean, um, for example, with the library, we made a decision, a point in time where we decided that we were going to rehome some books, which is a nice way to say it, um, and spend a lot of money doing that. It's hard to develop policy that is restrictive. It's very hard. It almost always fails, right? So what I want us to do is start flipping the conversation from this 
moral kind of manufactured moral crisis that we seem to spin from in a place of chaos to we want what's our end goal we want to make sure that our families have the the information they need to make good choices for their kids right so we could have spun that and said we're going to put our intention intention and our money and our funding and our time into developing the, that skill we didn't we made a choice and i keep seeing that happen in so many ways where when we should turn right and develop we turn left and end up in this chaos drama waste of time that is a no win situation because we're not talking about data we're not talking about what's happening we're talking about opinion about what's happening go back to the data go back to the data well, you are a data-centered yes. person. I, I could see that just from reading your piece and talking to you just yes. for the little time we've, we've talked here and, and yes. knowing your background and yes. having been uh, having been a federal government employee. I was a journalist for a while, went to work for the government, now became a volunteer yes. journalist in my retirement. And uh, we dealt with data all the time, particularly when I was in management uh, for a federal agency. So I understand how you take data, use it, and, mm -hmm. and understand it. Here's another quote from your piece. Mm -hmm. Quote, I remember eight years ago talking with friends who had moved here from New York, Manhattan area, who loved the parks here. Mm -hmm. But those same friends struggled to find people with whom they could connect. Mm -hmm. Also, a little further on, quote, I remember six years ago talking to former neighbors who were black. They fortunately never felt unsafe, but they unfortunately felt unwelcome. I'll close, yes. close a quote there. So yes. tell us, why do you think that's the case? Well, I don't think it's a secret that we've had some racial undertones in our community for quite some time now. You know, um, I, I don't think that that's, uh, I don't think that's a mystery and I don't think that's a falsehood at all. You know, um, I think that as we grew, we didn't do enough to bring connection among our neighbors we didn't bring, you know, and even I was speaking with somebody who's running for city council the other day. He's been a member of the community for a very long time, and I respect him a great deal. And he said, you know, we, we used to have, like, parent education things, and we used to have, you know, parent meetings at night, and we used to have things happening that were kind of low-stress, easy entry ways for families to engage with one another, whether they had kids or not. Um, we had events at the library, you know, we, we had things that we don't have anymore. And I think as we've grown, we forgot to nurture that connection. And I see, you know, and, and I will give Scott and others at the city the hat tip that they deserve and say they've made efforts to engage people. Come volunteer, come the, but it doesn't happen on – those things don't happen on social media. Mm -hmm. Those things don't happen through an email. Like, you got to get out there. you got to, you know, like, <laughs> like you yeah. got you to gotta, you gotta do that. My best example of this is kind of the – what I would call the underground mom community in Fishers, um, all the moms clubs, you know. Um, you want to talk about a mighty network of support. Like, those women support each other. They're there. They help them through all of the things. Got to get milk. Before DoorDash, <laughs> you call somebody, you call a mom, you know, if your kids are sick and you can't get it. Like, we have so many, we have so many kind of underground 
communities that are doing wonderful things, it's amazing. But you have to know a guy to know a guy to get in. My, and that's what's worrisome. Yeah, and, I, and this dovetails something I said for a long time that uh, we tend to get polarized on social yes. media, yes. but there's no real human connection. Yes. There are people I disagree with on things, but we sit down and we talk about our families, yes. we talk about what what's going on in the yes. community, and what you discover is that you have much more in common mm-hmm. than you ever could have imagined. Without that human connection that you're talking yes. about doesn't happen does it no and i think you know and i and i think in when i think about my work and what i've done for a long time now like that's where we're at you know on a global scale we are at a point where our we don't want technology to be used to drill and kill math we want our kids to use technology to connect with each other build build solve problems do all those exciting things so that they're using that technology as an augmentation an acceleration for that human connection with their peers. And, and we it's the same that, thing we need. <laughs> we lack that human connection. You know, yes. I've been involved in uh, the mayor had for a, a period of time an understanding racism program. Yes. I was a part of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of human connections were made. Unfortunately, that fell apart. I won't give it into why. Yes. But uh, I want to get to this, what you mentioned yeah. earlier. Because um, you referenced in your piece some publicity you picked up. Yes. About uh, in your travels about fishers, you cite yes. the school board member comment about gay is trendy. <laughs> you uh, yeah. um, that was a little while ago, but more recently we had the Hitler quote in a local newsletter yes. for a group locally. Yes. and of course you've already mentioned the library board is spending over three hundred thousand dollars to review the entire young adult section of books. Yes. and you've you've talked you wrote about the pushback from. Uh, John Green, who you mentioned, Kelly mm-hmm. Yang, who I interviewed, visited Fishers, yes. and, and uh, she is wonderful lady, and mm-hmm. uh, and she has also pushed back on that. Do people living within Fishers, what you describe as in that Fishers bubble, mm-hmm. understand this message people are getting outside the community and how they view us? I I don't think they do, and I think we're so used to the spin cycle, you know. Um, and by spin cycle, I mean, you know, oh, it'll go away. Um, we have a footprint, Larry, you know. Um, even even my husband, who's a business owner, like, you know, if he's trying to get somebody from Seattle to move here, oh, they won't, you know. And it's not because they don't love working with him. It's because they do one quick Google News search. Like, it's sad. Like, every once in a while, I'll just kind of do a, you know, an incognito news search of Fishers, Indiana, just to see what pops up. And it's all of the things. It's all of the drama. And it hides the value that we have to the community. It hides the human amazingness of our community, I guess I could say, you know. Um, And it, it deteriorates... You know, I'm a big fan of teachers. I don't think anybody would ever question that. Um, But I think people younger than me, people that are going to start voting in six years, those folks know teachers are of value in their community. Do they want to go someplace where teachers are going to be like, peace out, because I'm a professional and I'm trained and I'm having a really hard time doing my job well because you're making these policies that set me back, you know? And that footprint is there, and our younger generations are smart enough and in tune enough to see through those headlines and look for the patterns and behavior. 
So when I'm in, you know, a friend in Oregon was like, what are you doing living there? Like, Mm -hmm. what? You know, Mm -hmm. a super good friend who is a higher up in the life sciences company. Like, I know life science is important to fishers. Like, realize that those people are seeing these headlines. And it doesn't matter what we do. They're going to look at those. And that's the footprint that we have. Yeah, appearances are everything. Well, and the date and data and the right? data that goes along with yes. it, yeah. Yes. So, so you're telling me that you have specific examples: people who mm-hmm. live in Seattle, in Oregon, the state of Oregon, California, Colorado, California, Connecticut, Connecticut, <laughs> who say they will yes. not come to Fishers. Yes, and the reason is yes. because of this public. Um, it's the drama. The image that the image yeah. that we have in this drama that's in the news. Yes. People want to love their kids, educate their kids, be part of a community. They don't want to walk into some place and think, oh, my God, do I have to deal with this for 10 years? Because but You and I know yeah. there are amazing people yeah. who live in this yes. community, and yes. it's not that yes. image that, yes. that's out there. Let me – you mentioned your education background. Let yes. me – your piece says this about our local schools, and I quote yes. again. I remember four years ago telling yes. school leaders that they would be well yes. served to start community conversations yes. about learning. I saw too many families holding on to yesteryear of fishers and thinking classrooms should look like those they found comfort in during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I'll close the quote because I'm old enough to have been in school in the 60s, (laughs) Uh, not the 80s. But um, just kind of explain that that, uh, reference, please. You know, um, yeah. and I, I had tipped to Dr. Borf and his administration because they set the groundwork for so much. Another hat tip to Dr. Stokes and her administration because I see what she's doing. She's building an infrastructure for us that we have never had, Larry, and and we need it if we're going to thrive. You know, um, so hat tip to all of them. Of course, um, we love our schools. We love our teachers. Do I ask hard questions? Absolutely. I'm going to keep doing it because I think it makes us better. But when we think about how, like, we're kind of behind the eight ball, right? Um, A lot of educators come into Indiana and say, wow, you guys are like 10 to 15 years behind in your conversation. Yes, true, we are. We have an amazing district, and we could change that trajectory for our state, right? Um, Example. Last year in November, I was at Borton big Business School for a big international event, um, and it was pretty intimate. Actually, it wasn't big, um, but it's well known. Uh, there were human resource directors from small and large tech innovation, like, oh, my gosh, the exact same people that we want to come here and, and level us up. And all of them said, we need our kids to come out knowing how to be global citizens, we need our kids to come out, critical thinking, problem solvers. Yes, they need to read and write. Yes, they need to have all that. But if they can't sit down and work with a team and disagree, we, they're not going to get a job. If they can't come into this conversation and contribute at a new level where we're synthesizing and analyzing rather than just creating and producing, they're not going to be successful. And, you know, I, I think about the social-emotional conversation, you know? Um, Do our kids need help? Oh, my goodness, yes, we all do. Like, I wish they kind of had a social-emotional thing for adults. I'd jump in. I think a lot of people would. There are times we can all use it, yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, But 
when, you know, but we have to always pull that conversation back to learning, always. Our schools are about learning and educating our whole child. Let's pull that in and say, we're going to really focus in on this, and this is why. Because we're seeing disengagement. We're seeing lack of self-direction. We're seeing, (laughs) use that data, tell the story, bring people together. Same thing with our mental health initiatives. It's all about creating the momentum for our kids to thrive. Let's anchor it. I go back to the most Mm -hmm. recent local school board election. Yes. Now, I'm not being critical of any of their views. They they were elected to do their job. What yes. I the only, and and they uh, declined my invitation uh, to be on a podcast, mm-hmm. which is their right. I'm not going to criticize them for that. Mm-hmm. What concerned me about that election is that they kind of stayed within their own bubble, did yes. not subject themselves to any questioning. Their only issues seemed to be that they thought academics were falling mm-hmm. uh, below standards, and they felt that uh, there wasn't enough you know, mm-hmm. look. No, there wasn't enough control and, and attention paid to budgets. Well, I've been covering the school board for twelve years, and all the school board members have paid pretty close attention to budgets, and they've had yes. good people and staff to look at that. But uh, the fact that they the new members of the board made this allegation, made this issue of, mm-hmm. of we're falling back in in in, uh, in academic standards. You know, I just recently covered a work session they had on academics. I think they would all agree. HSC schools doing just fine they're academically, okay. really. I mean, we're not. Uh, they ought, they get upset. We're not here or there, but you know, we're talking about two mm-hmm. different ways of measuring, and I won't get into the weeds of that, yes. the, the data on that. Oh, I would love that. It's well, you know, <laughs> I mean, you, for example, there, there were a lot of private schools that are very particular about who they take. Yes. They're now on that listing. They weren't there before. Yes. For example, that 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 can skew the results if you're looking at a list. For example, yes. but if you look at the academics, I mean, they, uh, the administration went through that pretty well in detail and. I think they would all agree that academics are doing quite well. So yes. I want to get another quote here from mm-hmm. your piece. Quoting, I remember just a year ago sitting down with a stressed out mom yes. because her kids didn't get all A's in the third grade. Yep. The pressure that mom felt to keep up appearances and allow an external factor like that to bolster or crush her children was appalling. I'll close a quote there. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking personally, my twin daughters are now 29. They attended HSC schools, K through 12. They are both college graduates. And I remember when they were in the third grade. And and. They were at different levels academically, you know, kids aren't all the same. Yes. All we ever wanted, my wife and I ever wanted our daughters to do was just do the best they could, give the best effort. We never looked at those, particularly in third grade, but just didn't look at the yes. grades themselves. And it troubles me when I see stories like that that you told in your piece. Mm-hmm. I guess what would you tell a parent stressed mm-hmm. out about grades in the third grade. Yeah. What do you think? Well, um, you know, I, I had a mom that kept everything. <laughs> and I remember pulling up my kindergarten report card one time. And I always tell that story of, you know, when they were moving out of our childhood home and finding my kindergarten report card. I was like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Plays well with others. Really likes to talk. Writes really great stories. And, you know, draws nonstop. Like, that's pretty accurate, you know. 
Um, but then I'm like, so I, so I always tell that story of like, what does it matter? You know, um, and increasingly, increasingly, Larry, our, you know, our grades have to have some kind of reliability to them. You know, um, we, we give this artificial score so much weight. And I think when we break that down with parents of here's how that grading happens, you know, here's, here's, here's that thing, you know, that your child can work on. We move from this deficit label to an asset-based approach of here's what we would love to work on with your kid. Here's some things that you can do at home. Here's some library programs. Here's some nonprofits, like, you know, all the things. Let's bring it all together and serve our kids. Um, and those conversations usually start with tears and end in laughter because it's you have to walk people through the process of let's level set, you know. Um, and, okay, so Ellen Bell, the young ladies that were killed in a car accident not long ago here, their mom just wrote a beautiful piece today, and it was all the things that, their, that her children had taught her. And um, she said in there, high grades are important, but they don't really matter. Something to that, you know. And it's like, because that will only get us so far, right? But third grade, no, honey. It's yeah, people, not going to matter. Yeah, just, <laughs> getting into Harvard is not yes. going to happen. And not everybody no. should go to Harvard, quite no. frankly. I mean, that, that's no. when you see these, yes. well, I'm not going to get in. That's a whole other yeah. issue. But yeah. you also take on the way we vote at Indiana yes. primary elections. Here's a yes. quote. It's horrifying <laughs> that when we moved to Indiana, I had to select a party on my voter registration the first time in multiple states that I couldn't exist as an independent. I don't vote by party. I vote by intellect and close the quote. My <laughs> wife and I have lived in Indiana most of our lives, yes. so we figured a way around this. Yes. I, I always vote in the Democratic primary. She votes in a Republican primary, and we talk about who we're going to vote for, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to yeah. vote that way in a general election. But you are right. Indiana is one of those states where if you yes. want to vote in a primary election, you must – Yes. Unless you're in a, unless you're, it's a, some kind of you know some non-political issue that's that's being done. Yes. If it's any of the offices up, uh, you have to declare a yes. party, and you are bothered by that. I am. I'm, I mean, I grew up in a house with a, what I would lovingly call a raging Republican and a raging Democrat. Um, so this this you know this like polarization like I grew up with it and I saw how it came together and created some great conversations and um, no polarity in their relationship at all and I think that was really awesome and I learned a lot from that. Um, that said, there's some things where, I like I don't I'm not a big believer in big government. I'm not a big believer in, you know, um, some things that are probably teetering on the Republican side. Then I believe in a lot of things that are teetering towards the Democratic side. Um, it's I don't like having to be put in a position to be like, I declare I am going to be this. Um, I think it's unhealthy. I think it creates polarity, you know. But I also think, Larry, <laughs> that it sets us up for division. It sets us up um, to not be able to have those common conversations. Um, there's people that are on the Republican slate 
that I probably would have given a hat tip yes to. I couldn't because I registered as a Democrat because in Indiana there's so few Democrats. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go there right now. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember standing there with my husband and arguing with the poor person at the – I think it was the DMV. And I was like, no, wait, I'm not going to choose. And he was like, just choose. I was like, I'm not going to choose. And he gets – he laughs and just rolls his eyes. He's like, you can't change it today. Just choose and (laughs) – And you know, it means something a little more because if you want to be appointed to like a commission or a board, Indiana has a law where you have to have so many people of the other party. So how you declare – Will determine whether if you are going to be on on one of these commissions, yes, you have to declare your party and and you know you have yes. to have a certain balance, which I always thought was rather odd. Yes. let me get. Okay, I got a couple more quotes. Here's yep. one of the most compelling passages I found, and I'm quoting here. I wondered if I should just sell our house and run to disassociate <laughs> with the hate and yep. backward thinking that is sure to crush economic opportunity and sustain growth. And my thought today is that this bubble has become an iron gate where differing viewpoints aren't welcome and differing choices are silenced or canceled out. The debate is so full of contradictions, it's unfathomable. I get asked often in professional settings why I don't publicly share where I am from. Mm -hmm. That is why. It's embarrassing. And the quote. So with all that we've said, you've kind of (laughs) dovetailed this. I have to ask this question. Why do you and your family remain in Fishers? You know, we have so many people that we absolutely love here. And we have been one of the blessed families to have really rich connections. And oh, I just want more people to have that. I really do, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, when I'm passionate about something, I write quickly and pointedly, which is obviously <laughs> where that came from. Um but I think, too, like, you know, Larry, I heard I'm, I'm a fairly private person and not a lot of people know me and they read my stuff and they see me present at conferences if they're in education or whatever. But, you know, I think the the linchpin for me is I heard from so many people after this thing went out, like kind of in a freaky way, too many people um, that said, I feel the same way. I feel the same way, Jody, and I'm really worried about our home, and I'm really worried about our future, and I'm really worried about if this referendum doesn't pass. And, like, these are people that have nothing to do with education, um, a couple families that had just moved here from out of state. Is this what it's like all the time? Is this what, you know, are, do we need to move to Carmel? Like, you know, all, all of that. We are here because we have carved out this incredible system of community and support and love that we don't want to leave. But it makes me nervous. You know, there's there's a document I use a lot in professional settings that's actually published by the United Nations, and it talks a lot about the difference between hate speech and free speech. And I wish that we could, like, capture that in some way in this community so that we can, like, level set a little bit on, you know what, like... I do a lot of work with kids with disabilities, a lot of advocacy work for them, a lot of advocacy work for their families, and was a special ed teacher back in the day, you know, all of that. Like, then I then I see somebody who's running for office, like, making fun of people with disabilities, like, in a very pointed way, and I'm like, whoa, like, 
do we not know that that's, that's hate, like seeping through those words? Well, my last quote from you kind of ties into that. Quote, this November is a big moment for this bubble that we call home. Yes. There is a good chance this bubble might just burst. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see the great things that come when it does. So, yes. quote, closing the quote, I presume you're referring to the upcoming city election. Here in Fishers, I'm going to start a podcast series with candidates here uh, very good. soon. Good. Um, for those who accept the invitation. I, yes. In the past, they have. But I'd like you to explain your point. I mean, this... Uh, Here's just let me start with this comment from me. I started covering and getting to know politicians in 1970 and took a 28 year interregnum in the middle. And I, th- I think what I found is that it's not political philosophy or party. There are really good people that are in politics for the right reasons. Yes. And there are people who are in politics for the totally wrong reasons. Yes. They're in both parties and they have all kinds of different philosophies. So when you look at this election, and, and I think the biggest thing that I'll be watching, uh, just again, I'm sorry, just to give no, you a preview, you're, you're is, that, is that um, every four years we change. Yes. People move in and out. And you mentioned in your piece, we're not growing as much now as we used to. Yes. But still, we, people move in and out of this community all the time, and we do grow some. We have a little growth room left, not a lot. Yes. So I guess I know the mayor is – raising a lot of money for the candidates he's supporting. So he yes. obviously knows that the community has changed and he's not sure how that's going to impact the election and the mm-hmm. turnout and so forth. How do you look at this, this upcoming city yeah. election? I assume that's what you're referring to in your piece. Well, um, yes, I am. Um, I think we have two options, Larry. Like, this has been stewing for so long. And, like, I, I remember sitting on the equity whatever that thing was that we sat on for the mayor um, and listening to folks. And I was like, oh, man, this is this has been a long time coming, this conversation. Um, this beautiful man, uh, Henry, this black guy that um, was so cool that I met there. He had lived in Fishers forever, and I just loved talking to him and hearing his story. And, um, you know, all of this has been coming, coming, boiling, boiling, boiling. Now we're at this point where I really think – Two things can happen. One, we can continue this kind of single-party approach of, you know, yay, I get my way. I don't have to have any conflict. (laughs) Or we can get into a more democratic conversation of this isn't about getting our way. This isn't about railroading things through and saying, oh, I've got all the votes, you know. Um, this is about recentering and saying, let's get back to those conversations. Let's get back to that point where we can focus on doing something good and just and inclusive. Um, does that mean that I get my way? Heck no. Does that mean Scott gets his way? Heck no. Like, you know, and and sometimes – there's agreement among those things. Sometimes they're not. But when when you have those choices <laughs> and you have that dialogue, I hate having my kids see 
you know, uh, our son is incredibly interested in law and politics and everything. Um, I blame it that he, I, I keynoted too much when he was in my belly because we don't talk about those things at home. But he, um, you know, but so he, he a lot of times he'll watch the school board elections or the school board videos, you know, because he just wants to know what's going on. He wants to be informed. And I don't remember when it was. He said, Mom, why are these people on their phone when, when people are talking to them? I'm like, buddy, I don't know, you know, but I think we need to watch behaviors, you know, model what we want to see, all that. Um, I think I've seen a lot of people try and come forward, um, myself included. Like I, I had gone to some meeting to talk about the nonprofit grant budget because our nonprofits were in such bad shape after COVID. And I sh like I shouldn't have wasted my time, Larry. Like there was no, no one was listening. No one was acknowledging. No one was, you know, uh, there wasn't a moment of we hear you. We know there's a problem. We can't do anything different. You know, like you always have to, I really feel like we have to do that, you know. Um, and I've worked with enough people in government across multiple states, multiple countries to know that like when you get to the point where you can say, this is why I made that decision. We're in a better place. I want this November to push us in that conversation of community and not in that conversation of, I just, I don't even know what to call it. Maybe like just, just a very one-sided conversation, you know? Well, I've lived in communities where maybe one party or the other, either party has yes. been in control for a long time. Yes. And there is a kind of group think that happens. And uh, having two Democrats on a city council has changed the discussion, for example. Yes. But uh, we're a little over time, but yes. I just um, want to end this. I picked a number of things from your piece. I can't, yeah. couldn't cover it all <laughs> in 30 minutes, but I did as much as I could. Yeah. Any final comment you'd like to make you know, before we wrap um, this up? Larry, our kids are watching. They're watching. And we have six years before our middle school kids vote, you know. And what those kids – I do a lot of work on this whole Generation Alpha idea. Um, and I can tell you that one of the things that they very much focus on is, as a generation, is consistency and behavior. You know, if you're going to say this, then you should do this, you know. Um, and I think our entire community gets, needs to get ready for that, especially our elected officials. Well, Jody Britton, whether you agree with her or not, <laughs> she's uh, very, very eloquent in, in stating her case. Jody, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Larry. Take care.